He's not a mind reader, but Pastor Trent Griffith does know something about you and me. Can I ask you this week? Did your heart try to worship something other than God? Oh, not me. I'm not an idol worshiper. Now listen, you have to understand what worship is. An idol is anything that you think about more, that you love more, that you worry about more, that you fear more than God. And your heart starts going after that. And God knows our hearts are prone to do that. So He calls us back to unify our hearts, to focus on Him and understand that idol worship kills love for God. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. In our current series here on this program, Pastor Trent has been following a special thread through the Old Testament, the thread of the gospel promise. Right after Adam and Eve rebelled against him, God promised that someday there would be an amazing reversal. He said that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, Satan. God then fleshes out that promise in epic proportions by his covenant with Abraham. Most of the rest of the Bible is a story of God keeping that promise. Pastor Trent is helping us look at some of the memorable snapshots along the way. And last week, he began showing us the majesty and the detail of Solomon's temple and what that has to do with us today. Trent will recap some of what we heard last week and then continue with his message. Here's Pastor Trent. There are some very specific, important lessons that God wants us to know in relation to this epic building. Here is the first lesson, and it is epic. Here it is. God desires to dwell with His people. Do you understand what a mind-blowing thing that is? The glory is that which God has made known to us. It is His character and His nature emanating from Himself. It is the self-disclosure of God. And it is a choice that God has made to come to where we are and make a way for us to know Him. God longs to make Himself known. And God invites you to meet with Him. God has gone to the trouble to bridge the distance from where He belongs to come to where we live. And He invites you to come and dwell in His presence. 3,000 years ago, that place was in the temple. Today, we're going to discover you can meet God anywhere at any time. And that's going to be the unfolding story here as the story goes on. But God desires to dwell with His people. Point two, God wants to inspire my awe by His holiness. Every time you come to meet with God, the same truths ought to happen. You ought to see the awesomeness of God and the awfulness of sin. If you come to church and you stick around for an hour and a half and you go home and you don't see a little bit more of the awesomeness of God or the awfulness of sin, either you failed or I failed or we both failed because that's what a meeting with God is to be about. 
seeing the awesomeness of God and the awfulness of sin. Here's the third thing God wants us to learn from this temple. God wants to hear our collective prayers of forgiveness. Look at verse 46, back in chapter 8. Skip down to verse 46. Solomon's still praying this dedication prayer, but now he's going to mention sin in verse 46. If they sin against you, he might as well have used the word when because the next phrase said, for there's no one who doesn't sin. There's no one who doesn't sin, but if they sin against you and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of their enemy far off or near, yet if they turn their hearts in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors saying, we have sinned and we have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carry them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Every time you get in the presence of God, you need to confess your sin. Every time you come to the house of the Lord, every time you see the glorious, holy nature of Jesus, you've got to confess your sin again. If you come to the place of worship and an hour and a half later you walk out of the place of worship, and you have not confessed your sin and asked for forgiveness of sin and been cleansed of sin and motivated to avoid sin the next week, then you haven't met with God. If you claim to meet with God and yet do not deal with sin, you haven't met with God. You may have met with your friend at church. You may have met with a teacher or a kid or a parking lot attendant. You didn't meet with God. And so our goal every time we come to the place of worship is to get in the presence of God and confess our sin. Do you remember when Jesus went into the temple one day and he found money changers there? They were selling pigeons and sacrifices and things like that. That in and of itself was not a bad thing. They were doing a service for the people that have come from long distances so they didn't have to bring all their animals with them. How many of you don't take your animals on vacation. So they, they left them at home and so they, they could purchase them when they got to the temple. But the problem was is they were overcharging and they completely lost the whole understanding of what everything meant at, in the sacrifices. You remember what Jesus did? He made a whip and he started whipping the money changers in the house of the Lord. Share that with your children at bedtime tonight. <laughs> That doesn't sound like the loving Jesus that I know. Listen, Jesus is holy. And what was happening in that place was not holy. And so he drove out the money changers. And you know what he said then? He said, my father's house is to be called a house of prayer. So the place of worship is a place for us to gather, to confess our sin and to acknowledge that we need a meeting with God. 
Here's the fourth thing that we learn. God desires my undivided worship. God desires my undivided worship. So let's think back historically to what was happening here. Now, up until this time, the people of God were just worshiping God in whatever way they could find. And you see all these stories of people building little altars over here and building a little altar over there and over here. Why did God require them to cut that stuff out and come to one place to worship one God in one way? He's like, you're going to have to travel now to the place of Jerusalem. This will be the place where God will dwell. This will be the place that you offer your sacrifices. This will be the one place you come to worship. Why? I believe it's because God knows the human heart is prone to worship anything at any time in any place. And God wanted to unify their divided hearts to come and understand there is one God to be worshiped in one way, in one place. Remember, at the time, historically, they were being surrounded by all kinds of idol worshipers, polytheists. And they'd worship the moon, and they'd worship the sun, and they'd worship the grass, and they'd worship the palm tree, and they'd worship a building, and they'd worship themselves. And God knows our hearts are still like that. So He wanted to draw their divided hearts, their misdirected worship, to come to the place where God could be most fully known in the temple. Can I ask you this week? Did your heart try to worship something other than God? Oh, not me. I'm not an idol worshiper. Now listen, you have to understand what worship is. An idol is anything that you think about more, that you love more, that you worry about more, that you fear more than God. And your heart starts going after that. And God knows our hearts are prone to do that. So he calls us back to unify our hearts, to focus on him and understand that idol worship kills love for God. Now, again, the temple's not there anymore. So what is it that prevents idol worship today? Let me show you this verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, because even though there's not a temple in Jerusalem, there are still temples. Notice who the temples are. What does it say? We are the temple of the living God. And God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then he asked an incredibly important question. This is New Testament. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Answer? No agreement, just argument. And so the living God argues with the dead gods, with little g's, that we try to worship every day. There's an argument going on. God wants all of your worship. He wants to bring all of your worship to the place where his dwelling place is most fully known. And that is right here. So where is the temple today? Is the church building the temple? No. Is the church the temple? No. You and I, our bodies are the temple 
And as we receive Christ, the Spirit of the living God comes to live on the inside of us. And you know what it does? It's arguing with the idols in our life. And so we have to make sure our hearts are not idol factories. He's drawing us back to the meeting place every day to cast out the idols. Fifth point, God desires our unified worship. Now notice the first, that last point, I said God desires my undivided worship. That's individual. This one's collective. God desires our unified worship. You see, getting to this temple was quite a task for the people of God. They had to come from the north to south, the east and the west, and they had to make preparation to get there. But all the effort that it took to get them there, what was it doing? It was unifying them. People they never would have had contact with had to come from all corners of Israel to the place of worship. And in the midst of their vertical worship, what was happening? They were creating horizontal community with one another. And the Bible even tells us that just as we are temples, we're not just temples individually, we're a temple collectively. Look at this verse in Ephesians 2. He says, in him you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Question, is the church the temple of God? Oh, I tricked you, didn't I? He's like, well, no, the church building is not a temple, but is the church the temple of God? Absolutely. And so if you're a part of the church, do you know what the Bible calls you? A living stone. That's over in 1 Peter. You're a living stone. Just like they had to cut the stones and bring them together to put a wall together. Two stones, three stones, stone on top of those stones. Pretty soon these stones become a wall. And you put that wall with another wall and two other walls and put a roof on top. What do you have? You have a building. You are a stone. And when you don't show up for church, do you know what happens? We got holes in the wall. We got holes in the ceiling. And in case you didn't know, we do this every week. Some of you, have, you thought we only did this once a month. No, we do this every week. And we need you here to complete the dwelling place of God. Do you understand what's going on in our worship? We're not only doing Vertical worship, we're doing horizontal community as we do the vertical worship. We interact with one another. Understand the temple's no longer a place. The temple is a people. And wherever the people of God gather, God sends his glory there. And if you come to church and thinking, I hope I get something out of this today, you missed it. Because God's looking at you and thinking, I hope I get something out of this today. The temple is not for you. The temple is for him. He loves to meet with his people. And think about it. The floor plan of the temple invited you to take your next step into community. It started with the outer courts and people coming from the north and the south. And and they're just gathering around. And and then they take a step closer into the the place until they're... The, the high priest is in the holy place. Do you know the same thing happens when you come to worship here? Again, worship doesn't happen in a building. Worship happens in a people. And as the people gather, God wants to show his glory. But if, if you're going to worship correctly, 
we need to expend no less effort than Solomon did in building this temple. We've got to prepare to worship. And the first thing you do to prepare for worship is make it a priority. Question, is worship the highest priority of your life? Here's how you know whether or not it is. If anybody ever asks you on Saturday night, are we going to church tomorrow? then it's not the highest priority. Because somehow there's a question as to whether or not we're going to worship God or we're going to worship sports or we're going to worship grandma or we're going to worship TV or something else. Listen, worship's the highest priority. If you want to have a meeting with God, the second thing you have to do is prepare to worship. I always tell our membership class, make worship a priority, but you're going to have to prepare to get here because getting to church is hard. Now, I have seven people in my family. It's a little difficult to get all the people at church at the same time. Can I get a witness? Without killing each other in the process, (laughs) making sure that nobody has body over and maybe they have a copy of a Bible with them, right? So it takes some preparation. I tell people in order for us to get to church on time, we have to prepare to get to church on time at 5 o'clock. P.M., on Thursday (laughs) because there's a lot involved in getting here. But if it's a priority and you're going to prepare, not only that, you have to prepare what you're going to bring. You You bring your worship. You bring your brain. You bring your heart. You bring your sin. You bring your prayer. You bring a song. You bring a smile. You you bring an offering. You bring money. Not to give to me or to anybody. You give it to the Lord because he's worthy of all of it. And you've got a greater need to give it than he's got a need to receive it. He doesn't need it. But you need to pry your greedy little fingers off of it to show it's not an idol. That's how we prioritize worship. And then to understand the progression that we go through when we get here. Just like they had an outer court, we have an outer court. It's called a parking lot and you arrive and you smile at the person that's directing you to the parking spot that they'd like you to sit in and you smile at the usher who's put the ropes up and said, please don't sit there because we have people that arrive late and we want you to sit down here and you smile and you, you agree and you love your pastor enough to sit in the first three rows because these people are loved by their pastor more than everybody in the back <laughs> and be, because you helped me get this thing done. So it's all, it's all the gathering and the outer courts and we're, we're, we're acknowledging that this is a We're so glad to be here. It's exactly what the psalmist said in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And as we gather, there's a gladness and we're talking about what God did in our week. And we actually make eye contact with one another. All the introverts are freaking out right now. And it's like we're we're, we're doing this together. And then once we get here from the first note of the first song, do you notice the first song is usually a happy song? It's like, we're happy to be here. We're glad. But then it changes a little bit in the progression. And you, you, you would be blown away by the intentionality of the progression of the song. We're, we're calling each other to worship. And so we're singing songs like, we've gathered in your name. We've waited for this day. Show us, show us your glory. And we're inviting God into the dwelling place. And and then it progresses to where we're sharing testimony about how good God is and what God has done. This we know. 
We will see the enemy run. This, we know, we will see the victory come and we're singing to one another, encouraging, don't give up, stay in the fight, stay faithful. But then it changes to pretty soon, we're not singing about ourselves at all. And we drop the personal pronouns in the songs. Have you ever noticed that? And by the time we get to the last song, we have moved from the outer court to the inner court to the holy place to the holy of holies to where the songs we're singing include things like worthy, holy. And we're just making a scription to the character of God. And so we don't just pick a few songs and make sure they're in the right key so we can sing them. We are walking into the place of glory just as they did in the temple in Solomon's day. Here's the final thing. In the temple, God is pointing me to a better dwelling place. We don't need a temple anymore. We don't need a building because we have Jesus. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, was Christ a high priest? I mean, did did he wear the garments and go in there? No, but he's acknowledged as the true and better high priest who did what? The high priest of good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent. Was Jesus a tent? Was Jesus a temple? He was the greater and more perfect tent. The greater and the more perfect temple, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing the eternal redemption. Do you understand that Christ was the true and the better high priest? Christ was the true and the better sacrificial lamb. Christ was the true and the better dwelling place of God. All of that we read of the temple that was built by Solomon is pointing to the true and better temple that is Christ. And then we finally get to the last page of our Bible. You have to say, finally, one of these days we're going to get there. But on the last page of the Bible, we read something. It's a future Vision that God gives to the Apostle John of what it's going to be like in the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And this is what John said. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place. Sound familiar? The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. That's what we read on the first page of the Bible. And here we are on the last page of the Bible. In the future coming kingdom of God, he will dwell with his people and God himself will be with them as their God. One of these days, we're not going to need a temple. We are going to be with him in his manifest presence forever and ever. And the last part of that chapter says this, and I saw no temple in that city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. Do you desire to have a meeting with God? When you come to the meeting with God, are you overwhelmed by his awesomeness and overwhelmed by your sin's awfulness? When you come to your meeting to God, 
Do you confess your sin, seek forgiveness of sin, receive new cleansing from sin and a new desire to avoid sin? If not, you haven't seen his glory. Have you seen his glory? Have you shown up for the meeting that God longs to have with you? Let me ask you to bow your heads. And would you just answer those questions in your heart right now? Maybe you say, I I don't know if I've ever had a meeting like that. You can have one right now. We've gathered in his name. He is in the process of manifesting his glory in this dwelling place. Not this room, but in your heart among the gathered people of God. Would you respond to him right now? Humble yourself. Acknowledge his holiness. Maybe you just just ask him, God, would you show me your glory? I'm so tired of just going through the motions of religion. I'm tired of just taking notes. I'm tired of just showing up, but I don't ever see you show up. Would you show me your glory? The moment that my heart is tempted to worship something other than you. In that moment, show me your glory. Why don't you confess, Lord, I am prone to worship anything at any time in any place. And I want you to unify my heart and worship to you. Lord, thank you that uh, we don't have to go to a geographical place on the planet to have a meeting with you. Through Jesus, you've given us access to the transcendent holiness of God. So God, we humble ourselves. We confess the awfulness of our pride, our independent spirit, our rebellion, our idolatry, our immorality. God, we show up in your presence to receive a new cleansing. Forgive us, Lord. We turn our hearts back to you. Would you cleanse us, make us holy. And Lord, continually show us That's Pastor Trent Griffith. When we read about the physical building that was a temple, we need to see a lot more than just big walls and a roof. Praise God for His promised presence. Well, Gospel City Church has a nice building, but it's nothing like Solomon's temple was. And as we heard today, God's temple is not a building. It's His people. So if you visit Gospel City or any other church where God's true believers get together, you'll be rubbing shoulders with those who make up the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's pretty cool. If you'd like to visit Gospel City Church, why don't you first find us on the web? Just go to mygospelcity.org and click where it says, I'm new here. There's helpful information about our locations in both Granger and Elkhart County. And you can choose which service fits your schedule best. And then come worship Jesus with us. 
Again, our website is mygospelcity.org. And you can also follow us on Facebook when you search for Gospel City Church. Well, next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent will tell us this. A divided heart leads to a divided kingdom. And we'll find out what he means by that. Be sure to tune in. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.